you can't build a building from the third story up. You have to start from the foundation. I think if you have somebody who's already done this for years, they've been teaching for years, they have their, their subject matter experts, they can probably come in at a higher level and not have to rely on simple frameworks because they already have these, these grandiose ideas which they are capable of implementing. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. As instructors and learning professionals devoted to supporting our students in achieving academic success, it can be challenging and frustrating to understand why certain projects, assessments, or learning processes just don't click as we expected. Whether in the hallways, outside classrooms, or comments on our online discussion forums, it can be quite jarring to hear any number of variations on the theme of, what's the point of this? How will it ever impact my real life or future career? I don't need more busy work. Fortunately, we can put a set of teaching methods and strategies to work toward effectively communicating to learners about the value and purpose of assignments. This approach is known as a transparent teaching framework and has been developed and researched extensively through the Transparency in Learning and Teaching in Higher Education Project, or TILT for short. As described on the TILT website, this represents an award-winning national educational and research project that helps faculty to implement a transparent teaching framework that promotes college students' success. There are a variety of methods that can be adopted and adapted, such as discussing assignment learning goals and design rationale before students begin each assessment, inviting students to participate in class planning, gauging learner understanding during class through peer work and application of concepts, explicitly connecting the science of learning to course activities when students struggle at transition points, engaging students in applying the grading criteria that instructors will use during assessment, debriefing graded tests and assignments, and providing commentary on class discussions to identify the modes of thought or disciplinary methods that are in use. One of the most important and easily adaptable components of this approach is transparent assignment design, which relies on three main components or pillars, the purpose, the task, and the criteria for success. These components help learners develop a thorough understanding not only of what they need to do, but why and how. This scaffolding is key to supporting learner success, and research indicates that it is especially effective for underserved or at-risk students to develop academic confidence, sense of belonging, and mastery of skills that employers value. One final note before we dive into our discussion. The TILT project founder, Mary Winklemas, and related host institutions have generously shared a number of useful resources, examples, and templates that are shared with Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike licensing. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Jeanette Senecal from the Academic Innovation Team at ASU's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are my colleagues, Aaron Kraft, Celia Katraitiwa. First of all, I'm curious to know, is this framework or set of methods new to you? Are you familiar with TILT? Not until this week. <laughs> I think I've heard it mentioned uh, in passing, but this is the first time I've actually had to uh, dive into it and learn about it in detail. Same here. The idea of transparent teaching isn't necessarily new, so the concept, the idea of it, but the framework itself and how they've implemented it in higher education courses is definitely a newer method that I've seen. That's really interesting to me because it's fairly new to me too. As a, a system or, or a defined framework, 
I've really only heard a little bit about it in, in recent months. And that actually surprised me when I started to look into how many great resources there are mm-hmm. and the uh, the evidence that's been collected around the efficacy. So it was a little surprising to me that this was kind of new. But just as we've touched on in a couple of other episodes around learning theories, we have been using some elements and approaches and, and techniques that are very similar. We may just not have referred to them using these words or this definition mm-hmm. before. Mm, yeah. I think that speaks to the practical nature of this. It seems like you can retrofit any or just about any assignment into this model if you so choose to. Yeah, I would agree. And that's probably why it, it seems so well established so early on. I'm guessing it's early on. Did, did we know when this was actually created? I, I imagine it was somewhat recent. Well, if I look at the one um, transparent assignment template that we have as a resource, that one is copyrighted in 20, uh, 2013. Okay, so, so it's been it's around been for a, a minute. Yeah. yeah, and the original project apparently had its roots at the University of Illinois um, in around 2009-2010, according to the website. Mm-hmm. And over time, the project has involved over 25,000 students um, across more than 40 institutions in seven countries as a research project. So it's it's had quite a bit of momentum since 2009. Mm-hmm. That's only 10 years of growth and exploration, which is really um, fantastic validation. When I was looking back at the earliest times of when transparent thinking as an idea started out, I found an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education that was in 2007 So the idea or the concept of it has been around definitely for a while, but the building of this framework, um, would you say 2009 has been, you know, kind of coming forward. And I think it seems like it's starting to get more awareness now. Yeah. Kind of dived or went off for a little bit and now it's getting more um, headway. As trends tend to do. Yes. Yeah. All right, so this template, this transparent assignment design template, the three pillars that we referenced in the introduction being um, setting the purpose, the task, and the criteria for success. As I look at this, I started to think, well, if you weren't that familiar with this or, or you're, you're not an instructional design nerd, how would, you, how would you explain or describe the difference between using this kind of template or approach Versus just a regular grading rubric and a well-stated learning objective. What's different about this? I would say that the rubric is a part of it, is a piece of this template. So a rubric doesn't necessarily provide a purpose or provide the task at hand. It's more about the criteria and the focus on what is needed to accomplish the goals. But it doesn't actually necessarily hit all of those beginning points of the purpose Um, What does a student need to know as far as making connections um, or the task that they need to move through? So I think that the rubric is definitely a piece, but not necessarily the whole thing. I think instructors are often touching on pieces of this, but this is a systematic approach. That means that there is a explicit process for, for setting this up. You know, you have at the beginning is your purpose, where you talk about the meaning, the value, the relevance for the student. Next is the task, so how to do the assignment. And then third is the criteria, so how this how this will be graded, 
uh, you know, do you include a checklist? Do you have sample work? Rubrics yeah. go in this portion. So it's systematic in that sense that you have to lay it out in that sort of linear fashion in order for it to be considered this framework. And so I think instructors do those pieces often, but to put it together in this particular fashion might be different for them. I love that you brought the word systematic in because as I started to learn more about this, that was like the first thing that came to mind. Like this is a very simple kind of approach or, mm-hmm. or intervention. You know, anyone, yeah. any novice instructor or whatever could could easily sort of follow and get used to as a habit. For me, another big difference that struck me immediately was the emphasis on not only providing kind of your standard knowledge outcome statements or objectives, but really linking it to the skills and the real world application value or or disciplinary knowledge, things that maybe implicitly the instructor knows, but are not readily apparent to students. In addition to that, it seems to me helpful that you might think about it in terms of we ask students to write papers all the time, and it's just assumed that part of the process is learning to becoming a better writer. But that's very rarely written down as part of an objective, unless it's a writing intensive course. So kind of capturing that implicit part of any particular assignment is really valuable here. And another thing that I found to be useful about this was moving towards a more plain language or or real world set of descriptions for students. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about this kind of objective writing machines. Like we talk about alignment all the time. We talk about measurable learning objectives all the time, but we may be using terms and verbs and, you know, even just the structure of those, those components where students have really no idea what it means. They really don't grasp the implication. Especially if you're a younger student, you don't have the mental schema yet. You're learning that through your program, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you can have a well-written learning objective where you have your Bloom's action verb at the beginning. If you don't understand what that sentence means as a student, then what does it matter if the instructor wrote it precisely and, and accurately? Mm-hmm. So what this does is, yeah, the, the instructor can go ahead and write that you know, that, that clear action verb, but then you're supposed to talk about, you're supposed to have a discussion with the students and you're supposed to talk about how this is relevant to them. So I guess in that it's indicated that the students get to confirm that they understand what that objective is actually saying. That's a good point. And one of the resources, uh, templates that are available also, um, from a student perspective if they're just a learner who's trying to survive and get mm-hmm. through their coursework, it's literally a kind of checklist that they could use to interpret an assignment or a project that wasn't developed as transparently, which is another way to hopefully empower and, and build some of those metacognitive um, abilities and, and practice being active learners, even if they're not in an ideal teaching and learning scenario, which I thought was really interesting. To your point about uh, underserved students, there definitely has been um, some research in this area that that in particular can be quite powerful in increasing um, persistence and retention and, you know, just gains in closing that achievement gap. The idea here is to reduce the barriers. I 
focus on e-learning, on uh, online course building. There's such a f- huge focus on trying to reduce the technological barriers. That way the students can go right to the work and not have to worry about how to learn to use the technology, how to use, how to, you know, use the tools that are embedded in the LMS, for example. And this is a way to do that, but in a more general sense, because this can be applied to a face-to-face course. This can be applied to an online course as well. But you're reducing the barriers inherent in the lesson design or even just the explanation of the assignment. We don't think at that, or I tend not to think at that granular of a level, but this, that's exactly what this is approaching. This is, that's exactly what this is, is aiming towards is that when you explain that assignment to the student, can you delineate everything they need to know in a clear and easy to understand way and reduce that barrier to learning? There's nothing really complicated about explaining the purpose, task, and criteria. Right. Well, and there's even power, I think, in the fact that this suggests there's value in putting it all in one place, Mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes we might find that there are elements in, you know, a syllabus and there might be elements on, I don't know, a, a project page that gets handed out in a classroom and a rubric that's embedded in the LMS. This framework suggests putting it all together is one minimal intervention you could do to help support student understanding. And I think that is a a point well taken. Yeah. And going off of that, one article that I read by Johns Hopkins University, who practices using the TILT framework, has also suggested that not only do you have it just in the assignment area, but you should also have the explanation even in the syllabus within the course and then within the assignment itself. So having it in multiple places, but the the thing about that is, and I see it sometimes even with just without using the framework, is that when we build these courses or we work on courses, we don't necessarily make sure that it matches up in all three because we're busy just trying to get that course built and moved on. But sometimes we don't take the step back to make sure, okay, where do I have all of this information? Yeah, multiple Absolutely. representation mm-hmm. is is a fundamental concept of uh, UDL, Universal mm-hmm. Design Learning Principles, right? Yeah. But the problem is that it can become scattered if you're not careful on, on how you're, uh, if you're the architect of the course, mm-hmm. you know, is everything consolidated or is this a scavenger hunt? Suddenly you have to find, you know, what does the instructor want? Is it in the syllabus? Is it in the mm-hmm. course module? Mm-hmm. Is it on the paper she gave us? I don't know. Yeah. And I find that this might also help bring the student perspective around how abstract it can be to be faced with course level learning objectives, unit level learning objectives, Mm -hmm. purpose statements in an assignment, rubrics that are used for grading. That, you know, is very new at -hmm. times to especially you're talking about your younger undergraduate students. And this kind of framework helps bring it all together. Right. Mm -hmm. Because programs at the higher ed level always have a clear set of objectives at that unit level, at that program level that they... Your curriculum map. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, (laughs) but the students aren't always aware of what those are. Mm -hmm. And I think this helps to bring that into alignment more clearly for them. I think the other thing that occurs is the pass passing of the course from one instructor to another. And it sometimes kind of fades off in the per- the purpose kind of fades off. Like, why did instructor A from three years ago decide on this assignment? And it might be someone new who's coming in wondering, why am I 
doing this assignment, but I'm going to go ahead and do this and I'll, I'll adjust it, you know, here and there. But if they use this framework and they walk through these um, steps to put it together, it makes them have to take a step back and rethink, okay, what is the actual purpose of this? What are my students needing to achieve through this? With What skills are they getting? And what does this connect to? Yeah, I've been watching a lot of HGTV lately, Home and Garden TV. <laughs> and when they do these remodels, they're always thinking about, you know, how is this going to complement the, the owner of the home? Where the elements are there, they're useful for the person that's going to be using them. You don't mm -hmm. scatter things about the house unnecessarily. So why would you do that in your course design? Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes when we build courses or anything in general, we have this picture in our head and some, some of us are big idea people. So we might see the ending and know exactly what we want to achieve, but it might be a little more difficult for us to take a step, a step back and pull things apart. And I think that's where this framework can definitely help um, with those types of, of methods is the, okay, this is what I want to achieve and they should just be able to figure it out. But I think that does actually lend itself to some areas though and disciplines in that there are some disciplines where, yeah, you might not want to have everything completely explicit because you want that discovery and creativity to occur so you might not go as deep in this, but there is still a place for the framework to occur or mm. to happen. Uh, Broad strokes. Mm -hmm. So maybe less in some of those formative, you mm. know, exploratory building uh, assignments. And maybe that would be more closely aligned to whatever summative mm -hmm. projects or whatever that they might be involved in. That practical world scenario you're talking about, sort of walking into a course, inheriting materials I love this idea that we could use that kind of in a meta way to evaluate things that are already there mm -hmm. and as a means to just gently understand how we can improve and, and make things as good as they can be, even if you're not in a position to redevelop an entire course. Exactly. And we get, um, you know, instructors coming in for assistance every so often in a consultative way. And one of the first things I think we probably all ask is, what's the purpose of it without even knowing this framework, but it's just a, the, one of the first questions that usually comes to mind is, okay, why, why are you doing this assignment? Let it, like, give us the background before yeah. we can actually understand everything else. Which is so interesting. So if we have to do that, yeah, mm -hmm. then you should think about that in the student's terms as well. Well, there's the overlap, you know, if this were a Venn diagram, that's the overlap with adult learning principles. Mm -hmm. You know, you're having to explain or make clear the relevancy of this material, but it looks like it's not just for adults or adult learners anymore. This is obviously something that the uh, younger college student population can use as well. So do you think this approach is equally applicable across different disciplines? We're, we've talked a lot about sort of freshman undergraduate level learners. What about mm -hmm. graduate doctoral students? Is there a place for transparency and being very clear? Is there a place for that in multiple scenarios? I think Going back to that discovery and creativity, I don't know if it would need to be as broken down for higher level courses, graduate courses, but I think it does have a place regardless, no matter what type of assignment it is. I think that there, it can definitely be used. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a bit of an assumption and we can argue whether it's right or wrong. But if you have a graduate student who's already successfully completed a degree, perhaps they've had maybe 
some real world experience as a you know person out in the workforce they have a starting point of a different understanding of learning maybe but at the same time if we look at this idea of transparency is also not just a process but a value i think kind of keeping that in your mind as you do build assessments and and you do consider what's going to happen through the process of this course this teaching learning experience I think there's still a place for it, even if it's maybe not this one, two, three checklist approach. Mm -hmm. I would flip the script here and I'm going to go into story time. All right. Okay. Do it. (laughs) So I studied uh, jazz bass for years um, and I had this one teacher who watched me try to get incredibly technical on the bass guitar, right? And, And I was reaching for the stars here at like 17, you know, and he was like, okay, okay, listen, kid, you can't build a building from the third story up, you have to start from the foundation. So, you know, practice your fundamentals. So I would flip the script here. I'm not, I I think this could be applied probably 99% of the situations if you really needed to. I don't think it matters in terms of if the students are freshmen or if they're even at the PhD level, though I think PhD level is going to, you know, they got their own pathways that Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's uh, quite the best fit for that. But that aside, I I wonder if it's more on the instructor's experience. So, for example, if in my graduate program, my last semester, they had to pull a PhD student in at the last minute to teach one of the courses because nobody else was available and she had very little teaching experience. And the course was an absolute mess for about the first three or four weeks until our collective voices finally were heard. And she got in touch with her instructional designer. I know because I was working with that instructional designer as my uh, part-time job. (laughs) And then suddenly one day the course just magically looked better. I think for her, a simple framework to build the assignments out like this would have been crucial, would have been in, in, in such, there, there's, no, there's no barrier here. She could have easily understood, oh, purpose, task, criteria, and could have built that out from the beginning. I think if you have, and so she's starting from the foundation. I think if you have somebody who's already done this for years, they've been teaching for years, they have their, their subject matter experts, they can probably come in at a higher level and not have to rely on uh, simple frameworks because they already have these these grandiose ideas, which they are capable of implementing through you know their well, own. Well, they're experience. working from a different mental model then at that point too, exactly. really, and it may be hard for them to perceive the the true differences where their students are at at that point. So this is one way to kind of pull that back in a little bit. I think it also thinking about the word foundation. It many of the graduate students didn't go directly from undergrad to grad. So mm-hmm. they're kind of having to restart themselves as learners. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I, as you were talking about going back to the foundations, one of the components that can be embedded within the framework is to also allow for students to have the ability, uh, the chance to help build out the assignments and help build out the rubrics. And I think that's where at graduate level, that might also be something that helps with looking at what the connection is to their future goals or what the um, that realistic use of the skills would be is providing the opportunity for master's level students who are already working in their discipline might be able to make those better connections for themselves. Whereas in undergrad, it's more generalized. You might end up here. You might end up there. That could be quite an empowering and active learning experience, I imagine, 
on the flip side, without a little bit of that structure, it could get very messy and very scary. Mm-hmm. If you're the captain of the ship, as an instructor, you have responsibilities to make yeah. things work. Yeah. That somehow you got to figure that out. Definitely like, scaffolding is yeah, needed. Yeah, for some reason, this <laughs> took me in my head like to the Karate Kid and this mystical Mr. Miyagi. Wax on, wax off. And then at the end, you're an expert. Mm-hmm. This is com- the complete antithesis and the, the rolling back of that myth. Mm-hmm. You can't just learn little pieces that in abstraction mean nothing and at the end come together to mean something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where when I was going through the research and there were times where I was reading that, you know, some would provide just various textbooks and then the students could choose what the resources are or tools or apps. And that in my own mind was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could handle that, like having all these things available and then letting everyone choose. But I think, you know, as we are talking about the the different levels, there are probably times where you definitely have to scaffold your way into the ability to do that. But at some point, there probably could be an organized way of allowing (laughs) that to happen or to be created. Mentor them in the use of of the menu, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I like this framework. I like this framework in the context of uh, like large classes. I think if you're basically having uh, stadium size enrollment, Mm -hmm. And you need to divide and conquer and make things as simple as possible to get maximum benefit. This is a brilliant approach because it's it's lowering the the barriers for hopefully everybody, mm-hmm. even the instructor. Yeah. So spend your time on grading, not on writing the assignment out. It's good insight. Or, or answering questions from confused students. I'm, I'm I think one of the research articles that I was reading about this was saying that they noticed that there were uh, less questions from students mm-hmm. per assignment right. because they were able to comprehend what they needed to do so much clearer mm-hmm. when it was written out this way. Well, I'll never underestimate the power of providing, and this is clearly included in this framework, providing some examples of what a successful or a high quality uh, output is, whether that's a paper or a project or whatever the case may be. And I understand the concern and the argument that, well, they're just going to copy what they've seen. So yes, you have to be mindful about how you accomplish giving exemplars. But when you're challenging a student to do something they've never done before, and they may not even understand the terminology, whatever building blocks are necessary to get that foundation structured, they need they need to see something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We We learn by seeing other examples. One thing that I had seen on that topic of providing past student um, outcomes was not the outcomes, but the actual student strategies. Mm. So sharing how they approached the assignment and sharing what types of things they did to help them move along to completion. It's a good distinction. So that um, that definitely stood out to me was was being able to not just show the outcome, but the strategy or even if, you know, the outcome's going to close them up too much going the route of the strategies instead. Hmm. That's very interesting. You alluded to this, Celia, but if you had an instructor come in tomorrow and they're trying to rework or understand how they might improve an assignment, how would we help them get started with transparent teaching methods? Is it something you would recommend right off the bat or is it a natural um, part of that uncovering when, as you said, Mm -hmm. what do we ask first? What's the purpose? What's Mm -hmm. happening around the objectives in the course? How does this connect to the other 
skills that they're learning about? Like, how would you open the door to that? I would definitely start it out with that first, with just giving them the opportunity to provide their information on the assignment. Then that would allow me to kind of pull the pieces apart. Like, okay, you just gave me the purpose that you just gave me the the skills they might need, but I'm unclear on this part. And then maybe start to introduce the framework and say, okay, well, this is kind of, you know, I see you with this area very clear, but what about the tasks? How are you breaking those tasks down for them? Um, what connection is this? Is there to this class prior to this one or to the overall course objectives or the overall even a like the your degree major program. degree program objectives. And then I would I would definitely take a look like what do you have written out right now in the course or for the assignment and how can we pull it in or how can we break it down? That's a good idea. So instead of starting from scratch, seeing how you can not retrofit, but mm -hmm. start as an, an evaluative exercise to see what's worth retaining, what can be you know tweaked a little bit. That's very insightful. Another thing that um, might be a good opening of the conversation on the Tilt website, they have some examples of assignments across many different disciplines that really compare and contrast a more or less transparent design. So I think if, you know, I were trying to explain this to somebody they'd never heard of it or aren't quite sure whether it would fit for them, this would be an easy way to, to say, well, you know, look at the difference between this, this version and this version. Is that something that might be applicable to your scenario? Because we're basically modeling exactly what this is talking about, too, in providing some clarity and some examples. So. Showing examples of the framework that says that you need to show examples. Indeed. Wow. <laughs> meta. <It's> meta. <laughs> yep. Another question. Do it. Well, what was the purpose of this podcast? And what are the tasks? <laughs> what are the criteria? <laughs> okay, fine. Jeanette's giving me the, uh, the death eyes, so I'll shut up. The objectives say <laughs> our listeners are going to be able to describe the potential benefits of leveraging transparent teaching methods and explain the purpose and features of the transparent assignment template. And the task? I think it was to discuss the questions and yeah. I would say the purpose came from the monologue yeah. giving that background information and what about the criteria how will this be graded when we hit like 400 likes by tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> or listens by tomorrow help us be successful in our outcome I like that no, that's, that's a good assessment if this is a an episode that gets listened to yeah. as, at least as much as the others then. if we get feedback on Twitter that's or right. through email that's right. our nice our right. um, <laughs> transparency in action yeah. <laughs> no task I'm still stuck on <laughs> Task one, come in and sit down. <laughs> Task two. Well, gang, we've transparently covered a lot of territory on the how and the why of the TILT project and transparent teaching methods. This definitely seems like a useful set of tools for any educator's toolbox. I'd like to thank Celia and Erin for creatively exploring this topic today and give a shout out and note of appreciation to Tim McKean at ASU's Herberger Institute for Design and the Arts for also recommending this subject. 
And lastly, as we bring season three to a close with this episode, we would like to thank our listeners and fans for sharing your topic ideas and feedback over the last year. We could not do this without you. So please keep sharing your questions and comments. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. I'm uh, sorry, off the record here. Are you going to ask uh, or ask us to describe it or talk about it? I just think it's crucial to go ahead and explain it in simple but explicit terms what it is uh, at some point. Beyond the intro part that talks about the what, Mm -hmm. the why, and the how, and the... The pieces, the pillars. Is that not? Is that not enough? Did you actually say that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it's okay because I literally just wrote this. I had to follow on my phone because I have to like read as I hear, so I can. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My apologies. That's funny.